Hi, and welcome to Future Making in the Anthropocene. In this podcast series, I invite young academics to share their knowledge with urban and landscape planners. Can their fresh insights inspire them to adapt current practices and ultimately to help keep our environment livable? I'm your host, Teun van der Ende, and with me in Salto Studios in Amsterdam is producer Alma Abt. In this third episode of Future Making in the Anthropocene, I'll be talking to MJ Swiderski and Lidwin Spormans about everyday heritage in the making. MJ Swiderski is part of the Harryland Research Program. In the past three years, he has focused on Ursinov in Warsaw, one of the largest housing estates built during the socialist period in Poland. The residents of Ursinov are proud of their local history and prove eager to share more than a thousand of their personal memories that provided valuable input for MJ's research. We'll be hearing from him how he intends to instrumentalize this intangible heritage in current planning processes. Lidwine Spormans started her career as an independent architect and currently teaches and lectures at the Heritage and Architecture Department at the Delft University of Technology. She specializes in post-war architecture and more specifically architecture built in the 1980s. A couple of years ago she launched the online platform Love 80s Architecture that showcases both well-known as well as more obscure Dutch buildings and urban schemes from that period. Welcome Lidwin and welcome MJ. You're, uh, you've met each other before, haven't you? Where was that and on what occasion? Yes, we met uh, last year in Vilnius, Lithuania for a summer training school organized by... A cost action on middle-class mass housing. So I don't know if you uh, remember, MG, but you said it during this um, summer school we, um, uh, we met. You said, I stopped believing in conservation. I only believe in celebration. <laughs> That's a wonderful <laughs> quote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you remember? I'm, I'm not I sure. I remember also... The way uh, some of the people present uh, started looking at me uh, <laughs> kind of maliciously <laughs> after that. <so. laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I totally agree because conservation for me, maintenance, for example, is also an act of conservation. So it yeah, also yeah. depends on. But if you mean like uh, legal protection, so legally protect any change to happen. I, I do agree. So I think this will never work if it's not supported, if it's not felt by the people um, uh, working with it, not only the inhabitants, but also uh, constructors or yeah. whoever. Um, both of you uh, work, let's say, on the late post-war period, maybe my definition, but let's say 1980s, but also uh, even after that. Um, how is it for you to work on that uh, specific uh, period? Do you consider yourselves pioneers or is that not the right word? So I definitely don't consider myself a pioneer. Uh, there is quite a movement um, relate to, related to this uh, period in Polish architecture, uh, especially in the last uh, five uh, years. 
Um, there's been a growing debate uh, on how to preserve the legacy of uh, socialist uh, Poland. We've seen a lot of uh, demolitions of really architecturally uh, and socially precious buildings, um, such as, for instance, the first Polish supermarket built in 62. Uh, in Warsaw, it uh, was demolished already in 2006. But um, there is not that much discussion about everyday architecture. So, for instance, housing estates or uh, uh, architecture of, I don't know, office buildings uh, that are not uh, monumental in their form. So in that sense, in this respect, I think that I could be considered a bit of a pioneer. In the Netherlands? Is 80s architecture already considered as heritage? Uh, it's slowly progressing, but I do feel an advocate for this uh, topic. Uh, especially I did feel uh, being a pioneer uh, years ago to put it on the agenda, to observe it, to look at it, to study it. Uh, but uh, nowadays... Is more and more integrated in the uh, municipal and national programs and policies in the Netherlands. It's called post-65. Um, although I think that late 60s, uh, in my opinion, is more um, an extension of the post-war trend. Uh, and early 70s is very different and 80s can be regarded as different again so it's uh, but it's al always problematic to uh, set a certain uh, period yeah to pick up on that um, you dedicated the last three years of your life to uh, a research project within the program Harryland yeah practice oriented research uh, the goal of Harryland is to set an international agenda for training research and policy in the field of heritage and spatial planning can you maybe explain how your work uh, yeah, also distinguishes from the other projects within Harryland? What did you yeah. research? So definitely uh, the most distinguishable part of my research uh, is that I'm concentrating on a very modern architecture, something that uh, very often is not even considered uh, a heritage when you ask people like regular uh, inhabitants of, of cities in the Netherlands or in Poland, what is heritage? They will almost always uh, look towards uh, old buildings, uh, picturesque uh, city centers from like medieval times even. <laughs> Practically never they would uh, uh, say that, uh, I don't know, an office building or a residential tower from the 80s is heritage. The second aspect of it is... Um, that I'm putting a lot of attention to um, looking at uh, this type of architecture, not from the perspective of the architects, professionals, but actually l trying to find ways to teach the professional community about the ways in which regular, ordinary citizens perceive their environments. And simultaneously, uh, maybe not teach, but uh, stimulate these uh, inhabitants, these um, ordinary citizens to look at their surroundings in a different way, in a more appreciative way, uh, so that they can um, start thinking about uh, all this uh, everyday landscape as, uh, as heritage, as something that they're leaving for the future generations. Can you tell us what kind of neighborhood Ursinov is? So uh, Ursinov is um, 
a very uh, curious neighborhood uh, <laughs> because uh, it's uh, been conceived as uh, as this model uh, housing estate uh, in mid 1970s. Uh, during the uh, period of uh, the history of socialist Poland that um, uh, the country was experiencing uh, an unprecedented economic growth and uh, generally uh, this uh, the decade of uh, 70s was uh, considered as the, the happiest period uh, in, uh, in the history of, uh, of socialist Poland, there was uh, a drive to to create a lot of uh, a lot of status symbols across the country, uh, and one of them was Ursynów, the model neighborhood uh, that was supposed to be uh, inhabited by model residents. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the economic situation uh, went uh, completely uh, off the tracks. Uh, at the beginning of the 80s, uh, there was also a martial law uh, period. Uh, uh, so, together with uh, with the historical and societal uh, changes, Ursynów was also changing. And the more we go southwards, the more diverse the neighborhood becomes. It's very much related to the metro line, the first uh, metro line in Poland, um, running from running where to where? Uh, from the city center to Ursynów. Um, it also shows how important the neighborhood was uh, and uh, the plans for the development of the city. So the northern uh, station, which is called Ursynów, uh, you have this beautiful modernist landscape. Uh, and uh, southernmost is uh, a beautiful postmodern landscape uh, built in the late 90s um, with uh, very uh, chaotic uh, types of developments, uh, very uh, colorful buildings. Did you grow up there? No. <laughs> but you were <laughs> but in I Warsaw. Had, yes, yes, yes. Basically, yeah. Ursynów, uh, it's been my dream forever. Uh, this is where I first uh, went to McDonald's in my life. Uh, this is where I first uh, went to an indoor uh, playground, um, but also on a more... Um, kind of morose uh, level. Uh, this is where uh, the, my father was uh, treated for his cancer because there was, a, um, I think, the biggest uh, national hospital, uh, oncological hospital, is located there. Uh, so there is a lot of memories. Like, this neighborhood is packed with memories for me. Uh, also, a lot of my friends live there. And uh, uh, it's always been this type of dreamland for me uh, because of its architecture, because of the of the open spaces that uh, are very present there, uh, thanks to the amazing modernist uh, urban planning policies. Uh, <laughs> so it was uh, quite different from uh, from what I knew from, from my own neighborhood. Because you were uh, doing this research, you had to come up with a methodology strategy. And yours, uh, I read, was about gamification. Maybe you can explain yes. a little bit about the approach. So um, very often the official debates on uh, planning uh, and uh, on uh, preservation, on heritage, uh, let's call it heritage planning, revolve around very serious uh, types of meetings, such as public consultations where you have a lot of technical uh, language, a lot of uh, like jargon, and uh, it's not very accessible to uh, a lot of people who are still interested in the topic, but who are 
either somewhat ashamed of not being able to follow the discussion or who are just uh, too tired. <laughs> uh, the main goal uh, of this gamification, of checking whether gamification can work in this context is uh, to assess uh, whether this type of playful enga engagement enables uh, a better dialogue, a more advanced dialogue between different types of stakeholders. So local authorities, uh, professionals, and local citizens. Adding this element of gamification and trying to make everyone stand at the same level is part of the strategy that uh, I'm trying to develop uh, to check whether it would work to enhance this type of dialogue, enhance uh, this type of participatory planning. Uh, so the gamification component comes after a very uh, long and very um, detailed stage of me conducting a field work relating precisely to collecting memories in Ursenuf. Um, uh, and it will include the gamified stage. It will include uh, also this mnemonic um, which angle, means? which means relating to memories, okay. uh, this mnemonic angle. So basically, we uh, we will try to um, to play a game uh, based on local memories, uh, and we will try to think of how this type of approach, this type of playful approach, and mnemonic approach uh, can be used in planning processes. The aim is uh, to also um, stimulate these people uh, to think about this type of landscape differently. Uh, to process uh, the current problems through the lens of memories, through the lens of this type of heritage perspective, but um, heritage not uh, in terms of uh, important buildings, but rather in terms of important intangible heritage. Uh, so to look for the hidden meanings behind the ordinary uh, landscape of of the neighborhood like uh, Ursinov. Um, in this respect, it's very important that during the, the game, um, they not only participate together with the, with the local residents, but they also contribute the same way as local residents. Um, you don't have, uh, by the end of this uh, experience, this gamified experience, you won't have... Um, specific groups like professionals and non-professionals, you will have a group of people who are discussing something on the same level. Um, because also to participate in a game like this, to talk about your own memories, you don't need professional background. You need your memories. <laughs> Um, how did you manage to collect so many memories from the residents of Orsino? The easiest option was to do it uh, in a form of a questionnaire, an online questionnaire, um, uh, with um, based uh, on a, an online map-based questionnaire. You are supposed to put a pin on a map and uh, describe your memory relating to this specific spot. I was asking uh, about positive memories, about memories that are important for the entire community, about negative memories and also about places uh, one uh, would like to either preserve or change, drastically change. Um, in total, I collected uh, 11, over 1,100 uh, responses. 
Uh, so it was a lot of, uh, of words to process afterwards to analyze, uh, which is very good, although extremely time consuming. Uh, but um, I think that um, uh, part of the reason why uh, I managed to collect that much with a simple questionnaire is that um, I added some nudges to it. Uh, so for instance, uh, all the open questions, uh, fictitious character who is describing their own uh, memories kind of in response to the question that I'm asking. Uh, so we already had an example in a playful way uh, together with a nice illustration prepared by my friend. Uh, <laughs> and um, it already made uh, the whole process much less uh, cumbersome, much less academic and formal for the respondents. Um, and uh, much more approachable, much more um, basically easier to, to digest. Um, and uh, apart from that, I also uh, conducted a pretty extensive uh, promotional campaign, uh, especially on Facebook, uh, which is still a very much used uh, social platform in, uh, in Poland, especially when it comes to local uh, affairs. So if you want to know what's happening in your neighborhood, this is where you go. There is a lot of local groups, uh, a lot of local businesses that uh, are advertising uh, events or uh, whatever is happening uh, precisely through Facebook. Uh, so this is what I also did. I created my own uh, page. Uh, on which I posted uh, pictures uh, from uh, from the uh, 70s and 80s uh, and 90s uh, of the neighborhood, but also I posted my own memories. You have a lot of data collected in the fieldwork. Uh, so it, I think that's impressive. And I just wondered how you made them do it in the first place. So I think it's very smart that you opened this Facebook and already provided something uh, yeah. from yourself. Uh, but what do you think is the incentive? Uh, was the incentive for all the uh, all these inhabitants to participate? So to be very honest, I'm surprised as well. Uh, but um, I think that it's... Uh, Partly because I approached the topic uh, very generally, very broadly, um, and uh, some of the incentives are hidden here and there in the questionnaire. So, for instance, if you want to complain about uh, local matters, there is a specific question for that, but it's kind of uh, disguised uh, under this um, heritage uh, <laughs> The the incentive is that you can share something, you can contribute to a discussion, but you don't need to really um, think too much about it. You don't need to uh, be scared that someone will criticize you for this because this is your own life world that you're describing. People can get also frustrated if uh, they are asked to participate, but nothing uh, happens with their opinion. Oh yes. So I was mm -hmm. wondering: is some uh, some development coming up that they uh, that their opinions uh, really can make it make a difference? So um, maybe not uh, in so in such technical terms, uh, but I promised uh, them something very tangible in return, uh, which was uh, publication of what I called a memo map. 
of Ursinov. Uh, so uh, it ended up being a small booklet of some 60 pages with, uh, I think, 130 memories, so roughly 10% of all the responses, and uh, illustrated by my friend again. Uh, thank you very much, Martin Gruchocek. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, this map, uh, this booklet was uh, distributed among local libraries and also among local residents. Uh, the participants. Um, the participants, but not only. Um, That's wonderful. And uh, people were really uh, excited, especially if they uh, if they uh, saw their memory being published. Uh, so uh, mm -hmm. it's already something. I think it's a small gesture, but uh, definitely I cannot say that it uh, contributed to the to the planning discussions yet. But who knows? Maybe at some point. And uh, what's written down will. <laughs> Yeah. Stay. Right? Yeah, exactly. And maybe in the future it will contribute, and maybe some elder man will, uh, or elder woman will, uh, will uh, look at that and think that well, this is a way to approach it. Who knows? Great. <laughs> um, Litvin, um, a couple of years ago you you launched the platform uh, Love Eighties Architecture in the Netherlands. What was there your main reason to take that initiative? Yeah, I think it was already seven years ago, indeed. Um, well, uh, working as an architect in practice, I I was asked to make design proposal, redesign proposals uh, for buildings from the 70s and 80s. Uh, on the one hand, I thought this was kind of uh, sad uh, that after 20 years, 30 years, um, the project already needed an update or renovation or there were uh, all these kind of problems going on. So on the one hand, I think it was astonishing that so soon after completion problems arose. Uh, but on the other hand, I was also fascinated uh, when diving into this history and the, uh, and the intentions of the architects. I became uh, intrigued by this question, is this uh, failed architecture or are we not seeing it or not yet? Um, so I think that was the, the main reason, the origin of the, of yeah, the platform. Yeah. And then I thought, well, I'm uh, uh, maybe I'm not the only uh, only one interested in it. So uh, uh, let's uh, take a better look at this kind of projects. Also publish them in a... Um, nice way and try to publish them in a beautiful way because and that's not easy um so making uh, nice pictures it's really easy especially back then it was really easy to make uh smoochy pictures and everything dirty but uh, try to uh, it was also kind of emancipating uh agenda like show what is what can be beautiful about it or uh, raising awareness raising awareness and also um, showing the diversity so uh, first it was a blog and then uh, it uh, soon developed into a, a website platform that people could, uh, can also contribute to yeah and uh, did it spark a discussion uh, definitely yeah um, at first uh, uh, I had to convince people to contribute to uh, to uh, look at it to uh, but uh, uh, soon uh, people uh, participated and and added uh, articles uh, by themselves also lots of people I didn't know known uh, project but also unknown projects and people asking is this also an 80s project or not <laughs> nowadays I think it's a bit 
less necessary because it's uh, integrated in the regular discussion more and more. Although uh, I think this uh, is applicable, well, um, the 60s, 70s architecture is more or less embraced by the community, also by the heritage community. But I think for the 80s, it's still a bit different. So yeah. it's still regarded as uh, cheap uh, because then there was this crisis. So it was cheap and uh, it is ugly and it's dirty. And maybe it's also another type of architecture. I tend to disagree. I think it's it's still at the same early stage uh, that is that it's not recognized and it it's not seen for its quality. <coughs> when you say um, it has become more integrated, I'm assuming w you mean within professional circles, like the people doing the work uh, in the municipality or architects or urban planners. And when uh, you compare it with how inhabitants uh, talk about their their own building, where they live, where they work, uh, how, how would you say that compares to each other? Um, well, actually, I would say that um, uh, inhabitants and other users are more advanced in the assessment of these neighborhoods. And why? On different terms, in different heritage definitions. In, in their uh, experience of the place or also in terms of, of knowledge? Uh, in their uh, ability to see quality. That's not necessarily the quality that... Um, is uh, the perspective of the heritage discourse. I think I think that this is a very, very good point because uh, users have uh, this local knowledge that uh, uh, a lot of professionals don't have. Um, and uh, yeah, when you, when you were talking, did you know when you were talking about uh, heritage and uh, how uh, heritage professionals are, are looking at uh, these environments, it's true that in heritage, we are very often talking about outstanding values. Uh, and it's difficult to even imagine how uh, a place like uh, Ursinov or, I don't know, Almera can be an outstandingly valuable uh, <laughs> area. Uh, but the thing is that for local residents, um, it uh, creates this uh, ecosystem for an outstandingly comfortable life, uh, like out outstandingly comfortable everyday life, maybe like this. And uh, this is definitely not one of the categories uh, of, of heritage yet, but I think that we should start maybe thinking about it. We have also found in uh, other research uh, that um, uh, the scope of things that inhabitants assess as valuable is a lot wider. So experts tend to uh, focus on buildings and landscapes mainly, uh, but uh, for residents it's also uh, activities or people or uh, comfort or different uh, fields of mm. value. Um, and apart from this widening um, definition uh, of um, heritage value, um, I think uh, what's also different and also very interesting for me is uh, that for uh, for residents, uh, they assess from today's point of view instead of starting from the originally intended ideas. Can you give an example of your map-based uh, questionnaire where a lot of memories have been placed on a certain spot and what kind of spot was that? In the northern parts of Ursinov, so the ones built in the 70s, 
uh, and the original uh, plan, this original uh, kind of uh, model housing estate. Um, a lot of answers uh, related to the to the very beginnings of uh, of, of this area. Uh, so it was uh, distant memories uh, from kindergartens very often. Uh, um, and memories that are much more closer to, to today, but uh, relating somehow the experiences from today to the ideals uh, of the past. Uh, whereas in the southern parts, which were built already in late 90s, the memories were much more uh, personal and much more related to very mundane places such as benches. Uh, so that's... Uh, I think an interesting pattern, uh, but when it comes to one uh, spot that I really enjoyed reading about, about was uh, uh, the cinema, the first what we call a multiplex in uh, Warsaw, called Multikino. When was it erected? It was erected in late 90s, so 1998, I think. Uh, definitely not part of the of the original landscape of Ursunov. Uh, a very extremely postmodern uh, uh, building, uh, very um, vivacious in its form, uh, with a lot of purples and teals, and very different from uh, shouting from, for attention. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and um, a lot of people uh, wrote uh, about it uh, that it brings a lot of good memories from their childhood when they were going there uh, with their parents uh, when uh, or also for older people that it was uh, the first big cinema in the city so uh, they were very proud of it being erected in Ursunov and not anywhere else but also for instance uh, very negative memories about uh, losing their cars at the local parking next to it or uh, complaining a lot about uh, how this uh, parking that is next to the to the to the cinema is completely dysfunctional and it's really easy to uh, break your car uh, by uh, entering or exiting it so um focusing on memories uh, maybe um implicitly thinking about long memories, his history and memory. Do you see a risk in um, excluding newcomers, young people and also future residents? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very tricky and uh, I'm happy that you asked this question because uh, this is actually something that when I was distributing the leaflets uh, uh, asking uh, for the participation in the questionnaire a lot of people were saying that oh i live here only i've lived here only for one year i don't know this neighborhood but um you still create memories on the go all the time uh, so yesterday's memories exactly exactly um it doesn't have to i mean memory is a tricky word here because it's not about memories always it's about experiences and emotions uh, so this is why also uh, in the questionnaire I use the word emotions. Uh, I think it uh, it gave uh, uh, a chance for uh, for let's say younger generations of inhabitants, younger not in terms of age but in terms of uh, their uh, experience in the neighborhood, <laughs> uh, to uh, to voice uh, their opinions, their their memories, emotions, whatever you name it. And uh, in the end, it's true that I think the most, as, as far as I recall, the, the largest chunk of, uh, of the responses were from uh, those living in the neighborhood for at least uh, 15 years. There was a lot, let's say 30% of respondents who lived there for five years or so. 
and some even who moved uh, very recently and they already have something to say they already can perceive what is important if not for them they can see what the community thinks mm -hmm. that is important because this is where their neighbors are directing them to to go for instance to spend uh, quality time with their kids or something like that so i think that um uh, there is a danger of uh, of exclusion here, but it depends on the phrasing a lot. Don't don't get me wrong. I think this is a, um, a progressive way of uh, doing research <laughs> uh, because you. heritage is conservative uh, yes, by definition. Your main concern might have been that that emotions attached to s specific spaces and buildings and places uh, might be disregarded by people in power when they get to make decisions over um, spaces that people value. And um, I think Litwin also for, for your work and also raising awareness about a specific period of architecture, that might be the case that uh, often we disregard uh, the feelings people have with these spaces, although they might not be in architecture books yet or uh, you know, be extensively, have been re extensively researched. And uh, can you think of, of other methods or you, you like um, MJ's approach, but are there, are there also other methods maybe where we can uh, take these emotions and feelings into account when we uh, consider heritage? Making it more accessible for other groups, I think is necessary and how to do it. It also depends on the group because indeed in the digital um, digital tools, we also used uh, a digital tool in our research. Uh, also because of COVID restrictions, uh, we sent uh, professional stakeholders in this case uh, to a neighborhood with um, uh, a digital app on the mobile phone. Um, it was kind of a, treasure hunt, um, like you do in child's parties. Uh, so you go to uh, the site, uh, but just by yourself and you uh, fill out the survey on the on the phone. That's basically it. And uh, although uh, it was not what we intended, we intended a group meeting, but um, uh, while uh, working with this uh, results, uh, with the results of this app, well, we, we were positively surprised by two things. One is uh, that we had the idea, especially compared to the later follow-up follow interviews, discussions, uh, we found that it, by the app we, we collected more individual, authentic, independent opinions. Uh, and in the group discussions, uh, people tend to come to consensus more. And it is both valuable, but also the independent opinions <laughs> were uh, valuable. And the second thing is that it also open, opens up to uh, a wider public, to larger numbers. Because you, like in your game, if you want to invite people in a round table, it is limited uh, to, I don't know, 25, 30, I don't know how depends on the size of the table or the, the groups. But uh, in uh, neighborhood development, you can engage hundreds of people of all kinds of groups by digital tools. Yeah, it's very much true that uh, digital tools, online tools, uh, give this type of freedom that uh, regular, uh, regular uh, consultations uh, organized by the city hall, for instance, by the municipality, 
uh, are often destroying this type of freedom just by the sheer format of the of the meeting. Yeah. Uh, not only that you're faced with uh, a bunch of professionals usually sitting uh, not at the round table, at least not in Poland. It's not a round table. They're sitting in front of you. <laughs> uh, Even worse. And uh, you have to get to the microphone and say something. It's extremely stressful. And uh, as I said before, if you don't have the technical knowledge, if you don't have uh, like the, if you're not equipped with uh, with the vocabulary to 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 talk about it uh, you may just end up being ashamed of what you said which is not the purpose and uh, having this freedom of doing something uh, by yourself uh, on your phone or on your computer um, I think it's very valuable especially if we're aiming at uh, uh, uncovering intangible values mm. Um, you mentioned maybe uh, in decision making eventually an alderman or anyone might pick up on uh, your strategy um, when being the advocate of the devil uh, let's say I'm this alderman I, I want to use it I want to use the information how can I use conflicting memories within let's say the cinema space mm -hmm. the cinema area and put them to use when I'm doing a planning process Uh, I would say it depends on what you're planning to do. Um, but in this case, it's fairly easy. You have uh, positive memories, you have negative memories. Negative memories, usually uh, they were about the parking. So you just uh, change the parking. Uh, Is it that easy? Yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a very limited data set, uh, despite uh, the fact uh, that it's uh, quite large. Uh, it's still... Uh, as I said, an experimental project. So it's uh, difficult to extrapolate extrapolate uh, these results to uh, an abstract uh, project, an abstract plan and pro planning process. It's more directed towards uh, showing uh, what could be done. Uh, one important reason to convince eldermen or other organizations or owners uh, is um, both finding and creating support for the development so find what is what is appreciated and what's not so to uh, find some common ground uh, for both the development but also the current um, assessment of uh, of the users and also by the process creating support for what will be done but honestly uh, um, for me it's also difficult to think how to deal with these memories Maybe uh, because I'm an architect with this focus on uh, physical elements, uh, I tend to relate intangible values. So um, you, you could unravel the memory uh, that has a kind of intangible value for someone or for, or for uh, a community to uh, a physical embodiment of this value. And if you want to, uh, in if in a development, uh, this parking lot or a cinema or a row of trees has to be uh, changed because uh, it's needed or it's um, broken down or whatever, uh, then you can uh, go back in this line and see what value it represents and how you can either uh, uh, keep it or bring it back in another form uh, so i think this could be the it's kind of indirect but this could be the function of working with these uh, uh, memories uh, 
It is quite abstract. It though. is abstract, very abstract. And I think it's uh, it's one of the biggest problems for, uh, let's say, developers or uh, like uh, people who are implementing these changes to to think about these uh, these future uh, <laughs> uses. I don't know even, uh, but uh, I really liked how you said that uh, this uh, also could help uh, bringing support for the for the changes. Because this is something that uh, is not like coming naturally to you when you think about heritage. That uh, focusing, like using a heritage lens, can uh, help creating support for uh, for changes. <laughs> but I am slowly discovering that once you give people uh, the the right tools to to express themselves, they feel empowered, and uh, then they are also uh, more open towards uh, discussing what is happening. And uh, they also feel like they're heard. Once you give uh, the people the, this type of tool to express themselves and to uh, make them feel empowered, they may trust you more in terms of what you are going to do with their space. In the Netherlands, uh, housing corporation have to have um, 70% agreeing inhabitants mm. to make a change. Uh, so then it's definitely in their... Uh, advantage to have support and to know yeah. what's important uh, for residents yeah. and I think um, this uh, I think this support is uh, is uh, in general uh, whether it's uh, obligatory or not uh, I think it's in general the uh, the only way um, in uh, whatever uh, definition of heritage so uh, either listed or appreciated or protected or just our heritage like everything we have inherited but uh, in dealing with it in a respectful way there should be support I, I, I hope that's what uh, what uh, you Litvina and what I'm doing uh, we, we're kind of creating grounds for uh, for embracing the change and allowing also I think uh, heritage communities to remain dynamic because that, yeah. that was also exactly. your point that newcomers might introduce new feelings emotions uh, values into a neighborhood that might also uh, spark uh, well let's say good uh, development yeah exactly uh, before exactly. we leave uh, where can listeners read more about your work or find uh, any of the booklets maybe that you produced if they read polish <laughs> yes so that's the main problem i think uh, it's all in polish uh, but uh, with the help of uh, the magical tool of google translate uh, you can uh, read a lot on uh, the website blokobranie.com and also on uh, the fe- Facebook uh, page uh, of the same name. Uh, and I promise that uh, I will publish at least uh, one academic article on my research. So um, You're so obliged yeah. to. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> um, Lidwin, uh, if people want to get uh, into contact with you, um, maybe on ar- 80s architecture, <laughs> how will they be able to find you? I think Google my name or uh, via TU Delft. And you're still inviting new contributions to your uh, platform. Yes, of course. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, uh, both of you, so much for your uh, inspiring views. And yeah, there is, I think, uh, a future in uh, looking uh, through a different lens, maybe also differentiated lens towards uh, heritage and uh, maybe also this period of architecture 
let's say late wo- late post-war period uh, can spark also the imagination of uh, also professionals that uh, that are dealing with uh, with that uh, period. Thank you, and uh, well, that was all. Thank you very much. Thanks. It was very very nice to to talk with with both of you. <laughs> Do you want to find more information on the subjects discussed in this episode? Then pay a visit to the European Heritage Tribune, where you can find this episode's show notes and all other future making in the Anthropocene podcast episodes, as well as the latest news on cultural heritage from around Europe. Find the European Heritage Tribune at heritagetribune.eu. This episode was brought to you by producer Alma Abt and myself, Tuin van der Ende. Our thanks go out to MJ Swiderski and Lidwin Spormans for kindly sharing their views and to Gert-Jan Burgers and Ruud van Ooyen of the Harryland Consortium for their help in preparing the podcast series. The music was produced by the Schoonman Jazz Quartet. And last but not least, I want to mention that this podcast series is generously supported by the Dutch Creative Industries Fund and the Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam, coordinator of Harryland and Terra Nova. Both projects are funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under the Marie Skłodowska Curie Grant Agreements 813883 and 813904, respectively.